many yeah. times victims will come forward and report when they see someone else being victimized. Because I remember her saying at one point, I went there to get help and I came out worse. That right. stuck with me. You've got a woman yeah. who is a self-admitted drug addict and a self-admitted prostitute, and a jury is already predisposed not to believe her. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer of CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is... Hi, everybody. It's Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor. Jim, here we are again, back with Matt. And I am just thrilled, beyond thrilled, to have one of our absolute favorite guests and a fellow Georgian. Yeah, our back favorite on the Georgian, podcast. I think we decided, right? But, uh, our well, favorite I, Georgian. Well, I, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if I can say he's my favorite Georgian. Really? I, my whole family lives here. Well, he's my favorite. He's my Georgian. favorite Georgian investigator, which is about to offend all the other investigators I've ever worked with. But still, they're not on the podcast. Go ahead, Kevin. Introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello, everyone. This is Kevin McNeil, retired special victim detective from DeKalb County, Georgia, uh, victim advocate and CEO and founder of the 12 Project, where we educate the world on the effects of abuse. Thank you so much for having me, Jim and Francie. This is so amazing. I thought that I'll never hear from you guys again. Oh, no, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, we, man. We just didn't want to pick on you because we figured you were out there, you know, red snapper hunting or whatever you do <laughs> in your free time. Hunting. It's now you know, red snapper hunting, Kevin. Yes, yeah, it's, it's well, hunting. You know, we I have mean, to wait for the season. Yeah, you, know? you have to wait for the season. It's literally true. You are hunting for red snapper. Definitely, this definitely. Just so Most weird. Most people call but, it fishing, though, Jim. Yeah, but, but not but listen, the season. Kevin, the, I don't get seasons and fishing. I mean, the fish just bite and you pull them up. You've already caught the fish. It's not Everyone like you can tell our which ones are who going is, to. Who hunts and fishes. I'm so sorry for Jeff. Oh, it's so, so weird. Anyway, I don't get it, but it's so ha so nice. I'm so happy to have you back, Kevin. It is nice Great to have to you. And Kevin, of course, face. you hear from us again, because the thing is, we try not to bug all our regulars too often, because then you get sick of us. So oh, no. that's oh, what we're afraid. That would happen, Francie. No, I, I could never get sick of you too. You, you, you guys are amazing. Uh, well, Kevin. Be like you all. When I grew well, up. thank you. It's great to have you here. And we'd like yeah. to know, Kevin. Is there a particular case you want to talk to us about? And if so, where were you in your career where this case crept up? Yeah, this is a particular case. In fact, I like to name my cases. And this case, I named the drug addict and the doctor. Uh, I was probably six years in as a special victim detective. And uh, this I'm case still stuck was... on the drug addict and the doctor. OK, yeah. yeah. So um, I think we have the title of the podcast now, Matt, apparently. the drug addict and the doctor. <laughs> well, this yeah. is so easy. You're Thank you, Kevin. You've made my world. job easy. Um, and so you're about six years into being a detective in the special victims unit. 
Yes. DeKalb County. Can you, for the people who wait, don't live DeKalb in... County. That's not how you say it. Uh, it is how That's you say how it in the state. real world. But um, anybody can, says it. What do you say? DeKalb. Just DeKalb County. But there's an L in it. It's silent. It's DeKalb uh, County. Not in my language, it isn't. Okay, it's so like DeKalb Rushi. County. It's like Rushi, Georgia. It looks like Russia, but it's actually Rushi. Or okay. Houston County, which looks like Houston, but actually is Houston. We oh, do things good. differently down here, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently. But anyway, <laughs> for the people who don't do things differently... Tell us, please, where DeKalb County is and what it encompasses, because, you know, a lot of cops do this and say, I'm from this county or that yeah. county. They don't even say what state it's in, yeah. where it is in the state, how yeah. many cities are in that county. You know, so if you could the give county. us a little bit of that background for us. <clears throat> yeah. Non-Georgians. <laughs> yeah. The Cal County is located uh, in Georgia. It's on the outskirts of Atlanta. It's part of the metro Atlanta area. It's one of the uh, many counties that makes up the metro Atlanta area. It, encompasses about 750,000 uh, residents, uh, roughly, probably has grown since then. But yes, it's, it's right in Georgia, um, you know. It's just uh, sitting on the eastern edge, just sitting yes. on the eastern edge of Atlanta. And fun fact, the most expensive tax district in Georgia is city of Atlanta, county of DeKalb. Yes. For people who are in Confused. both, there's only a tiny corner of DeKalb County where the people live in DeKalb County and also city of Atlanta. And it's they the have most to pay more taxes. taxes. Yeah, their yes. taxes are the highest in the state. That's right. Wow. It's a beautiful county. It's a beautiful area, especially just east of Atlanta. They've got an adorable little downtown. It's called downtown Decatur, which is the capital oh, yes. of DeKalb. Downtown yes. Decatur is just is there adorable. a silent L in Decatur, too. <laughs> no, no, there's not, Jim. I just wondered. I think you're making you fun of Southerners. Kevin, I think he's making fun of us. No, is that what it is? not at yeah. all. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is interpret your language for the <laughs> average language. U.S. citizen. <laughs> Kevin, we have our own do. language. Well, uh, I have to admit, yeah. that's sort of true. Yeah, we do kind say, of have our own language. You're going to say you all and all that stuff, and I'll have to interpret for the people in the Bronx. Okay, so we've established. Kevin is about six years into his career in DeKalb County oh, in the Special oh, Victims Unit. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So tell and, us what's happening. And how did how did this case come to you? What did you first find out? Well, what happened, I got a call from this female who stated that she she needed help. And just to give you a little background, where she went, it was a low-income area, urban, urban area that, that provided free therapy for recovering drug addicts or people who wanted to get help for drug addicts. So it was right back dab and you know i guess some people would say the hood uh but they were doing great work they were doing great work had great people working there and i guess get a call a now one call from an officer who said that he had a female with him who said she wanted to make a report of a rape and mm. um he wanted to uh talk to me about it because already he's kind of suspicious because he knew her. He kind of knew her as a, as a sex worker in the area. And so you can tell from his voice, he really wasn't convinced it was a legitimate report. But so, before you go further, it is really important to understand that just because you're a sex worker doesn't yes. mean that you have no right to the integrity of your body exactly. and sex workers can also be the victims of sex crimes and Definitely. rape being 
one of yeah. the most severe ones. Yes, absolutely true. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I preface that with that, because a lot of times investigators have implicit biases, as well as officers, uh, that gets in the way of their investigating the cases properly. And so uh, that's why I picked up on from the officer. So I told him to bring her to the office. I wanted to speak with her uh, face-to-face uh, specifically. Now, normally, uh, we'll get the report later, and we'll deal with it later. But, you know, like I know, I didn't, I was unsure if I would catch up with her later because a lot of times uh, people in those conditions don't have the necessary means to reach out later, phone addresses and things of that nature. So while he had her, I told him, just bring her in the office. I want to speak with her. And he did so. Great. Yeah. So can, can you describe for us, Kevin, a little bit about what your office looks like? I think that, you know, we see police stations and detectives yeah. offices depicted on TV all the time. What, what did it look like? And is there a different place you'd put a witness versus a defendant for an interview? Yeah, uh, there's a there's a general area that people come in. So our office is about five stories high. It's a big, pretty big building, a noticeable building that uh, stands out in the community right next to the fire headquarters. So I was at the police headquarters, two buildings side by side. Looks identical. Uh, looks like the typical police precinct, but it's huge. Um, and so the people who come in, they have to come to my floor where the, the, the detectives are. That's the third floor. And witnesses and suspects um, come in the same way. Uh, now, we do separate them when it comes to interviewing for the interview process. Uh, so she would have to come to the third floor, escorted to court by a police officer, but that's the only way she can get access to us. Uh, so, But first, she has to wait into a waiting room, which is not comfortable or pleasing uh, with the steel chairs and, you know, the glass windows, mm-hmm. the cooking doors, you know. Uh, so he brings her up there and uh, right away I can tell, you know, uh, she's nervous, you know, understandably so. Uh, I'm pretty sure she's probably had some uh, run-ins with the law prior to that, in which I did discover uh, she admitted to uh, right before the interview started. She just told me, sat down, just listen, <laughs> I just want to be up front. I have a record. I'm, you know, I've been here before. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think she felt like she was going to be judged. Uh, I don't know what. Well, but she got was. lucky because she got you. Kevin McNeil. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. And you know what? I tell people all the time that I had to grow into that because, you know, like, like other officers, you know, I too was, you know, letting my bias, allow my biases to kind of, you know, dictate my investigations as well as my treatment of people uh, based off how they came to the office or what their background was. Okay, so she comes into your office. She's obviously yeah. nervous and, and worried, and she's very upfront with you, which suggests yeah. to me someone who wants to be honest if she's yes. that upfront right from the start. So what, what did she tell you? She told me that this doctor wouldn't leave her alone. She stated that she went there to get help. She was at her wits end and she couldn't get off drugs. And someone told her about this program that was located in, in Decatur, Decatur, Georgia, which is a, a city in DeKalb uh, County, and which fell under my jurisdiction. So she came in and she said he he did an examination of her, but the, initially, you know, the examination, she knew something was strange when he told her to disrobe. It was supposed to be evaluation for drugs and things of that nature. And he commented on her body. And she stated things got a little weird at the end. Um, but stated they joked around. He made her feel comfortable. And stated that he told her to come back. And the next thing she know, they were in the same situation again, same room again. She needed a place to stay. And this place temporarily housed drug addicts, uh, people who wanted to recover mm. if they decided to stay uh, for treatment. 
And she noticed he was giving her special privileges, like taking her to a, a room where she was secluded. And he would come into the room and check on it. And before she knew it, he started fondling her. And then she said on one occasion, about a week into it, um, he came in, unzipped his pants and removed his private part, his penis. And he asked her to perform oral sex on, on him. She said she did it. Uh, she was afraid. She didn't know. But then she said he started giving her drugs. Um, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. So he started giving her like opioids and drugs like that. So she said she, and she started crying at this point in the interview because she made a statement that stuck with me. She said, I went there to get help and I ended up working off, you know? Mm. And that like, heartbreaking. Heart. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, taking advantage. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I did the research, you know, on this guy, I looked him up. I mean, this guy was impeccable. I mean, this guy had, he had degrees from universities, man. I wish I could have attended. I mean, like Harvard and and, and just yeah. as you're saying that, um, yeah. that just speaks to the bravery of this woman. Oh yes, to come forward yeah. at all is 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 rare. Yeah, to come yeah. forward when you're in that situation is yeah. extremely rare, and to come forward against somebody with impeccable credentials, yes, is and power more rare. Yeah. Yes. And, and to come to the police where you've had encounters with who have arrested you before based off your past, not knowing if you're going to get the treatment that you need. Because now, I mean, I may not want to admit it, but I was in authority as well as this doctor. So she could have put me in the same boat as the doctor. Like, can I trust this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, sure. and then her initial encounter with the officer. One of the things I tell officers and people who deal with survivors of abuse all the time, abuse victims and survivors are hypersensitive to what's, what goes on around. So any facial expression, any tonality of your voice, they pick up on that. So if you're doubting them in any way or they feel like they can't trust you, it's very easy for them to pick up on you. Yeah, I once had a detective ask me, why didn't I just say no? Like, wow. as if that was the <laughs> simplest issue in the world. Yeah, yeah. Like, why didn't you just say no? Wow. And never mind the fact that I was a child and yeah. the offender was an adult who yeah. groomed yeah. and manipulated me and put me in a yeah. situation where I feared anything about yeah. this guy. Um, but, you know, that's that was a learning point for the detective when I told him, never, ever, mm-hmm. ever ask somebody that. He goes, oh, well, I wouldn't have asked any other victim that, but because you wow. were a prosecutor, I thought, you know, I could ask you that. Oh, wow. As wow. if that well, you, changed you know, anything. It, yeah. It's something that I really face as a prosecutor, Jim. I know you you saw this too, but defense attorneys always ask women and children victims of sexual abuse whether they said no or whether usually say it is mm-hmm. how many times did you say no yeah. because of course they're trying to catch the victim out and make them look that bad because most of the time the victim will say i didn't say no i didn't think yeah. i could say no or i didn't know how to say no or i didn't say anything but yeah. the truth is that jurors don't understand that and as a prosecutor you have to understand that jurors don't understand it so yeah. you have to make sure they do by yeah. calling expert witnesses to educate the jury mm-hmm. on disclosure and how victims experience this sort of thing and why they behave the way that they do. Otherwise 
the jury expects, just like if a man ran up on the street and tried to grab my purse, I Mm. would start shouting. They just assume that every single person, man, woman, and child, will object when becoming a victim of crime. And that is not how sexual abuse generally works. And it is a battle, and you're so right about that, Kevin. It is a battle from the very beginning, whether it's detectives or, you know, patrol officers, all the way up to the jury and the judge. Those people all have to be educated about it. Oh, man. And now you see my my dilemma in this case, right? Like when, when I asked her what happened, she said he pulled his penis out and she performed it like there was no words exchanged. So now, you know, I know I can't ask her that. Did you resist or did you say no? Because I know she's in the capacity of an authority figure and she went to get help. But the jurors are not going to understand that. Well, no. Right? And Kevin, in, in Georgia, it's forcible sodomy. I mean, that, yeah. that you have to prove that element, that it's yes, without consent. Yes. That you have to prove force. And so that exactly. that does make it. OK, so already yeah. your case is very, very tricky. Yeah. And now I got this person with this this background. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so already, you know, as an investigator, I always tell investigators, at least I did. If you want to be a great investigator, you have to think like a defense attorney. Right. What yeah. are going to be you the do. challenges to this case and what are going to be the arguments? So I'm already in this mindset as I'm speaking with her. And so, again, I looked this guy up. I mean, this guy. I mean, he was writing periodical journals for these big organizations. And I'm, I'm looking at his work. Again, I feel my implicit bias com- coming up because now I'm looking at like, wait a minute. You know, I got this doctor, right? And I got this drug addict, former surgical sex worker. Am I claiming that this doctor with no criminal history of this that I know of um, is, is, is violating his oath of office to be a doctor and take care of victims? And so I take a story. Uh, she tells me that he just won't leave her alone. And she almost implies that if he would have just left her alone, she wouldn't have come forward. Because this is what she says to me. She said, Detective, I still won't help with my drug problem. Mm. And I thought I got it, but I ended up being worse off than when I went in. And now I feel violated. Well, and that's just two strikes in most jurors' minds, especially, um, you know, people who don't know anyone who's drug addicted, people who don't know anyone who's ever uh, been a sex worker or prostitute. And in a juror's mind, you're you're two strikes down. You've got a woman who is a self-admitted drug addict and a self-admitted prostitute, and a jury is already predisposed yeah. First, yeah. not to like her, but secondly, not to believe her. Exactly. And she even admits that that at least at first blush to someone who doesn't understand, there might have been consent. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you're in yeah. you're in trouble. So you, oh, yeah. you're looking at his background and yeah. wow, what did you do next? So I didn't play with this case. I knew I had to cross my T's, dot my eyes. So I went immediately down to the uh, courthouse to get a search warrant for the location. Uh, because she specifically indicated a room in the office that he would take her that was separated from the other people that would be at the other females. He said there were only several females, she being one of them. And so I went in, got the search warrant. I went in, took pictures of the room, um, saw how secluded it was. That's one of the things I really wanted to point out in my investigation, how this room wasn't really a, a patient room. It was almost like a, a closet, like a utility closet. It She wasn't even supposed to be in there. Um, so that, that made me feel like, okay, there's something to this. Right. And was there any, you know, 
internal security cameras or anything in the facility? There was. It was in the hallway, like, but where this was, it's like, and that's another thing that made me feel like, okay, now you got your case because this guy's being intentional. Like, where he took her, the camera wasn't fair. Like, it was almost near a restroom. Um, well, and what's interesting about that, Kevin, and I'm working on a case that has to do with uh, working on an audio documentary on a, on an allegation of child sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And, and assuming the case goes to trial, it is going to be the offender's word against the child because that's yeah. that's all the evidence the DA has collected. Right. And I asked the DA about corroborating evidence. He didn't really seem to understand what I was talking about, which mm-hmm. was dismaying in the extreme. Yeah. <laughs> but what you're talking about here is corroborating evidence. It doesn't yeah. corroborate the actual uh, sexual abuse, but it corroborates elements of her story, which bolster her credibility. And that's what every good detective and every good prosecutor knows that in a he said, she said, or, you know, the person said and the child said, or the victim said, you have to have corroboration of some kind just so that you can argue in court. Yes. You know how we can rely on what they said because they they said this is where it happened. And look, that exists. The circumstances existed. It's very important. And that's another thing I want to do. And most investigators and I used to do as a young investigator, I used to make it all about the suspect. But I wanted to make it all about the victim. I don't want to show the people who will listen to this case how he manipulated and took advantage of her. And so when I went there, one, I had to make sure she was there. Because, you know, so I got the, the search warrant for the records that she had signed herself into that uh, program. Secondly, I wanted to make sure he was on on shift there. So one thing that I found out was that he wasn't really he was like a residency. He wasn't really a doctor doctor there. And he had he had a, a, a person who was overseeing his work, which meant that he couldn't prescribe drugs. Right. They never gave him the consent because at some point he never got his license in Georgia. This guy was from Africa. He was an African doctor that came to the U.S. on a visa and he hadn't yet got his credentials to prescribe. Mm-hmm. And so um, so most of his work was in the academic field. Right. So he was he didn't even have this 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 ability or this authority to actually prescribe drugs. Now I think, OK, here's a second strike. She said that he gave her drugs. You know, showing people that you're giving a recovering drug addict who comes in who wants help to kick the habit. You're giving her drugs to make her addicted, more addictive. So that's just sick. That's just really, really perverse. So I was like, okay, now we I I got something to work because now I'm seeing some manipulation. I'm seeing some intentionality. I'm seeing some motive, you know, and so I'm seeing. So I called this guy. I called the doctor. That's my next step. And so, of course, you know. I always tell investigators, you know, if a suspect talks to you, that's rule number one. They're going to lie to you, right? So I was expecting that. But I always tell investigators, let them tell a good lie. So I talk, called this guy, told him who I was and what I was doing. And, of course, he called her. When he started naming and criticizing her and this and blaming, victim blaming, I said, okay, yeah. I said, won't you, won't you come into the office? And I knew if he came to the office and gave me a written statement on record. Um, that I would be able to get something to move forward with. Mm. Uh, and that's what he did. He came in and he swore up and down that that would never happen. And he starts throwing out his credentials. He's victim blaming her, degrading her, but he's throwing out his credentials and building himself up. 
And so I'm like, okay, I'm getting this investigative vibe. Like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got something here. This guy, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I'm not saying to myself, only he did it, did it, but I'm thinking, yes, this victim, yeah, I got something. So um, he leaves. Um, so I'm thinking, man, what's the next steps? He denied it. She said it. So a couple of days go by and I get a call. It's the victim. She's frantic. I mean, she's crying. She was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Take me. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I said, well, oh, calm down. What, what's the problem? Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. She said, he just had a female call me and offer to pay me money if I told you that I was lying. What? And yeah. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. Can anybody say actions that indicate <laughs> guilt? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seemed to be a guilty conscience. Yeah. So it just it seemed like something out of a Hollywood script. She was like, they want me to meet them. And I was like, oh, no, you can't meet them. Because now I'm thinking, I don't know what they're going to do to her. Like, who is this female that she's referring to? I don't even know this female. Like, she all of a sudden brought this female into the picture who's supposed to be a lawyer who's supposed to set up this arrangement. Mm. A, a lawyer. Wow. Yeah. 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 So he, he tried to make it sound. Yeah. So he tried to make it sound real legit. Now here's, here's the kicker though. She wanted the money. Right. So she was okay. like, I, I want to go meet him. I want to. And I was like, listen, I don't think this guy has $10,000. I'm concerned about your safety. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so I wait, was wait, it was $10,000. That's what they said it was, ten thousand. They won't give her ten thousand dollars. Yeah, if she met with them and uh when she got to ten thousand dollars, came up to me and told me she made the whole thing up. Um and so I was like, man, you know, don't do it. And she was like, I can't lie, detective, I need that money. I was like, Yeah, but I can't get I can't promise you you're gonna be safe if you meet this because you don't even know who this female how did the female well he got the number and he was on the other end. Uh, like a three-way call, like telling I got this friend, she's a lawyer, she won't work this out for us. We need hmm. to get the police out of this. So I'm like, okay, now I got a dilemma. I got to keep her from, you know, <laughs> messing up her own case. Um, because that's what he was trying to make it seem like in the interview. Right. Like she was trying to bribe him for some money and things mm -hmm. of that nature. Um, that's one of the things he was trying to use as a defense. Um, that he and then once he paid her, of course, he'd be able yeah. to say it was. And all he was saying the money. opposite. He was saying that because he wouldn't give her drugs, right? She made Make these out. allegations, right? Right. Right. So I said, okay, what am I do? What am I do? So I'm, I'm at a standstill. I'm like, okay, I, I can't let this victim go forward because I know the longer I wait to try to figure something out, the more in communication she's going to be with these individuals, and more than likely, they probably going to convince her to do something if she's that in need of money. And you remember, she's still, 
you know, addicted to drugs. She never right. got the help she wanted. So in her mind, you know, you know, things that, I mean, and she was telling me things that he was meeting her in parking lots and performing oral sex on him in supermarket parking lots. Um, he would meet her outside of the clinic, you know, and, and things of that. And it had, she had been to his house. And so she gave me a description of his house, his apartment. So got a search warrant for that. And she was just describing things to, you know, I mean, you could tell she was there, mm. um, which I, I wanted to prove because like, if you having this doctor patient relationship, why is this patient at your private residence? Right. Right. No and, reason. And, yeah. And then she made a mention. This is why I tell investigators it's so important about interviews, listening to what your victim and listening. Right. And so I don't write when victims talk to me because one is distracting and another I think is disrespectful. Um, the victim's telling you the most horrific thing that's ever happened to them. And you're not even paying attention or looking up at them. And I know you got to get your notes, but that's what recorders are for. But because of that, she killed talking and talking. And the more she talked, the more she said. And one of the things she said, they went to a liquor store indicator, right? Mm. And she said that they went and bought liquor and went back to his house, drank, did drugs, she did drugs, and they had sex. So of course, you know what I'm doing now. I got to go to the liquor store, right? To get surveillance video. And right. sure enough, there he is. You see him pull up in a vehicle, but he doesn't get out. He sends her in, right? So I see her get out the car. Uh, couldn't get the license plate on the car. That was no biggie. I could always, you know, determine. And but Kevin, you know, ahead. at this point, all this evidence really kind of works both ways, doesn't it? I mean, because yeah. it it starts to sound like a relationship. Exactly. Now you're getting my problem. Now I got to say, oh, my God, was this really a relationship or was it like force or manipulation? And so... But one thing I had that I wanted to kind of play out was this phone call, right? That him telling he wanted her to make it go away. Um, and so what I did, I told her to come to the office. And I told her to call the female, the number. And so what happened, um, I got a phone recording device and I put it on uh, the phone. And she was, I told her what to say. I coached her. I said, listen, I need you to get them to mention the money thing again. I need you to get him to call, get her, this female, to say her name. If she would say her name, she wouldn't do a phone call, but to get doctor, get the suspect on the phone. And so we on this three-way call and they're going at it. She was like, I want the money. He was like, I told you, if you get the money, make it go away. You're going to make me lose my license. And he kept saying that. He kept saying that and saying that. I can't have this thing. You're messing up my career. You know, you're doing, why are you doing this to me? And all this. And then the female on the other end, she was kind of aggressive. Do you want the money or not? You know, so this conversation is going on back and forth. And so at that point, you know, I, I the phone call ended. I knew I had enough um, to at least bring them back in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so bring when I brought back in them, with bracelets or bring yeah. them back into with an invitation. Just an invitation. I wanted to give him an invitation to 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 talk or to explain some of these things that I was coming finding in my investigation. And so when I got there, I just again I let him talk, and then I played the recording. I said, "You recognize that voice?" He was like, "Yes, Detective Bell, that's me." I said, "Yeah." I said, "I want you to listen. You remember this conversation?" He said, "I think so. I don't remember." I said, who is this young lady? He said, oh, that's just another female friend of mine. And I said, why were you trying to pay her to not 
And he said, listen, take the McDaniels, you're going to mess. Please, please. And he just kept saying, please, please don't do this. Don't do this. And I said, I'm not doing anything. I need you to tell me the truth. I need you to tell me the truth. And he was like, well, it's going to destroy me. And he was like, well, she came into the office and he was telling about what she wearing, she, what she had on. She, uh, you know, oh, hello. Yeah, yeah, she was flirting with him. He deserved him. it then. Yeah, yeah, she was flirting with him. He had to push her away at times. Uh, and so now I had to get past this point and say, okay, why did you give her drugs? So at this point, I'm not asking questions. I'm, right. I'm throwing statements, right? So, right. you know, because at this Just point, assuming yeah, that I'm not going to give you an opportunity right. yeah, to, to keep the lie up. So I said, you know, why did you give her drugs? She's a drug. You know, she came to you for help. He said, I don't know, Detective McNeil. I, was, I wasn't thinking. He said, I wasn't thinking. And he said, Well, that's uh, said, an admission. Yeah, yeah. And so I said, uh, Where did you get the drugs from if, if you're not able to, you know, prescribe? He said, we, well, the overseeing doctor who's there, who's over the program, keeps it. And he he walks over to me. He'll allow me to give medicines or drugs to a patient while he's there. Why, if he prescribed it, I could give it. And so he had access to it. And I said, so why did you give it to her? He said, she wouldn't leave me alone. So now he's admitting to giving her the drugs. And so I asked him about the liquor store, her apartment. He was like... Yeah, but we never did anything. And I said, what about the, you know, I lied to him. I said, I went to the supermarket parking lot. I got a videotape of y'all doing something in the car. Can you tell me what, what was going on in the car? He was like, she, we didn't have sex. And I said, okay, what happened? He said, well, she get, went down on me. And I said, okay. Oh, I said, yeah. That's not sex. <laughs> exactly. By the Bill well, Clinton definition. Yeah. That's Bill Clinton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him, I said, um, so tell me this. Um, why? did you have this happen? He said, I don't know. Um, I lost control. And he said that, I said, at any time, did you know this was wrong? And he said, yes. What? Yes. He said, yes. And he said, at this point, he's trying to play on the, that he's the victim. Like he's telling me that she cursed him. Yeah. She, she, you know, she came in the office dressed a certain way and dressed a kept, certain way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How could a woman do that? <laughs> is that irresistible, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And so at that point, you know, when he said that, you know, I just I just got out the the, uh, the platinum bracelets and, you know, and go ahead and told him to turn his hand around the back. And he was just so and it was a shocker to the community and the doctor that was overseeing him. I had to interview him. And that's yeah, because uh, why was he yeah. writing prescriptions for exactly. for drug right. addicts? Yeah, exactly. Right. For opioids. Yes. And here's the thing. He never he didn't want to cooperate. He was so concerned about his business and his practice that this he's really the overseeing did. doctor. Yeah. Yeah. This is the overseeing. Sounds to this me like doctor. he ought to be more concerned about the patients that, he's, yeah. you know, supposed yeah. to be taken care of that aren't being taken care of. Yeah, so, so what, what one of the when things you talk to him. He really didn't want to talk on, on record. He he kind of lawyered up, wanted me to talk to an attorney. Um, told me he had nothing to give to me, and and I just asked him, you know, let at least can you confirm was this guy, this doctor, did he work for you? That I just need to know. You don't need a lawyer for that. I mean, I just need was he? Uh, and then the way I asked, did this person have access to your your practice? And he answered yes, but that's the only thing he would get. Um, and so, you know, you know, in these cases, you can't just stop there. 
right? Um, no. Because if he, it, you know, I got to find out how long he was there. Has he done it to anybody else? So of course, you know, you got to get the media involved with that, right? Oh, really? Yeah. So you know, so we had to call the media. You know, the po- police. Anytime we call the media, it's because we need them. Uh, <laughs> so we, of course. You know, you know, but that's go. how you might be able to find other victims willing to come yeah. forward if they know yeah. that, that the case is being taken seriously. Yeah. And so I had to do that. And um, and, and and that's how that case went. You know, that was a, that was a I, I like that case to say it was a good case of mine because I didn't let my bias get in the way. And I was able to help a victim and to not only help her, but get her uh, confidence back in the system. And so did when you got the media involved, what happened? They played the story, but I got no other calls, um, which I, I wasn't totally surprised because of the population he was probably was targeting. Well, he was probably uh, been had been preying on drug addicts for yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. See, that's about Yeah. And so and then, you know, um, the victim was 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 so, so thankful. She actually came back in the office. You know, after the story played and she said, I can't believe I made the news. You know, of course, she wasn't on the news, but she was like, I'm so glad that this guy is not doing what he's doing. And uh, we got into the process of, of trying to shut the place down. So I don't know whatever happened to that. though. Uh, but, but did, did he you, go? Was he prosecuted? The doctor? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Matter of fact, he gave a, 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 um, a confession um, after I called uh, the jail. Um, when they called me, say he wanted to speak with me. And this guy never, he never lawyered up. He never lawyered up. Uh, he was almost like apologetic. And so I went to the jail, uh, made one last attempt to get a, a total confession. Like he told me some things that he did in the interview that led to the arrest and the warrant. But when I went back, I got the details, like, you know, how many times and what was the process and, you know, why would he take her to a room and things of that nature. Um, and then the telephone records I had to get because he, she was calling him on the personal phone, you know, the text messages and all those things. So, yeah, it, it was it was one of those cases where in the beginning it looked like it wasn't going anywhere, you know. Um, but, you know, just thankfully, you know, that victim was willing to cooperate because right. she wanted that money, man. She, she wanted that. Well, but pers- your persistence obviously paid off. So what? In the end, he, he admitted his guilt that he had sexually assaulted her. So what yeah. what did happened he go to, to trial? Him? Did he plead guilty? What happened? Yeah, yeah, he, he, he pled guilty. He didn't even want to go to trial. Uh, he was so embarrassed by it, you know, and and he didn't understand because he was trying to play it off like it was a relationship, too. Like I never forced. That's the part he didn't understand. Like he was in an authoritative position over her and he didn't understand because in his mind, everything was consensual. Right. And so when I charged him with sexual assault, he was he was perplexed, you know. And so I think that's why he told me what he told me, where he gave the confession, because I thought I think he thought that if he just came up off of it and make it seem like it wasn't anything to it. But other than he and this victim was falling in love with each other. And I think that's what he wanted me to believe. Yeah. And the drugs, giving drugs to an addict at yeah. a treatment yeah. center for exactly. drug addicts. Yeah, exactly. that has nothing what was, to do with what was yeah, his sentence, Kevin? What what kind of time? Uh, did he I, I think he got I think he got 20. Uh I think he got 20 with an additional uh 10. It was something like that. I never understood life sentences, uh, but I think it was a life sentence plus 10. 
I think licensed that's in Georgia great. 20 years. Well, it's well deserved. I mean, because you know that wasn't the only woman that he ever oh, took no. advantage of and no forced of doubt. into that kind of uh, activity. Yeah, he was, with, he was at that center for like three or four years. So I'm sure yeah. that. You know, well, it sounds I mean, like he had really refined his technique. So, oh, yeah. can, Jim, let's ask him our question. Well, I, you, you're going to let me ask a question. This is I rare. am. Wow. <laughs> well, well, Kevin, I know you've kind of made an indication of it, but is this a best case or a worst case for you? This is the best case. This is the best case. This is the best case. And, and that I, I finally was able to, well, not finally, I, I think I learned something as I do in all my cases, but particularly in this one. To, to really learn to listen and to allow the victim to, to trust you, to feel safe around you. Because a lot of times when victims don't feel safe, they shut down. They think, what's the use? You know, why even do this? You know, what am I gonna get out of this? You know, maybe I can just play this guy, you know? Cause there were times where she wanted to give up. There were times I can tell, she, particularly when the money came involved. Uh, she, matter of fact, she said during the initial interview, like. She really didn't, she wanted him to stop or she wanted him to stop calling her. That was the big thing. Like she wasn't yeah. even really concerned about the sexual thing. Um, but she didn't think that I would pursue it. Um, she thought I was going to call him say, hey, stop calling her, leave her alone and hang up. You know, kind of mm-hmm. scare him away. Uh, I don't think she expected me to really go after him for what he did. Uh, and I think when she saw me pursuing she came on board later, like, this is wrong. Because I remember her saying at one point, I went there to get help and I came out worse. Like, that right. stuck with me. Like, that right yeah. there, that's what makes it my best case, one of my best cases, because a victim re- recognized she was a victim. Right? Yeah. Right. And, she th- had value. and that's really important. Yeah, that's really yeah. important. And many yeah. times victims will come forward and report when they see someone else being victimized yeah they feel so badly about their themselves they have such a poor self-image that they don't think it's worth it yeah for law enforcement to pursue something about what happened to them yeah so you know you you basically championing her rights and and elevating her to the point of you know that level of importance that's a really great thing you're a hero yeah. for doing it and yeah we sure. applaud you and, and was able to recommend her to an actual facility that could help her. um and, and that's great yeah. and this this doctor yeah who yeah. would who would not only give drugs to mm-hmm. a person who came to this facility this facility was put together yeah. The whole purpose of it was to help people get off of drugs right. and straighten their lives out. And all he did was make it worse for her. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, what I mean, he's taking advantage of vulnerable then, people, which is just right, terrible. Right. But then on top of that, to sexually assault her, yeah. to take advantage of her from this position of authority, this guy should be in jail for many years. And, you know, I know what Francie would say. About I, that. I think this definitely merits a pine box sentence because <laughs> that guy ought to come out of yeah. prison in a pine box because he's a yeah. total scumbag. I mean, he doesn't yeah. even recognize that he was sexually assaulting her, that he was in that power position, that he's taking advantage of a drug addict, someone who needs his help, yeah. uh, as if there's any way that could be an equal relationship. It's it's really disgusting and good for you, Kevin, yeah. for getting him Thank off you. the street. 
Yeah, and it was even more heartbreaking when the doctor who was overseeing the program and stated that he started the program to help addicts wouldn't cooperate with the investigation. Uh, yeah, that, was that, that guy, yeah. yeah. Why yeah. wasn't... He uh, ought to be ashamed of himself. Yeah. Well, Matt, he ought to be more than ashamed of himself. He ought to be in those platinum bracelets as well. Yeah, and you know, my hope was I couldn't suggest it, that she would possibly go after them civilly. So uh, uh, I don't know if she did or not. I know she mentioned it. Um, but, um, I hope she got the help that she needed. Uh, we referred her and she was happy. And the fact that she came back after the case was closed, was amazing. That's great. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for coming and talking to us about another great case from the files of Kevin McNeil. (laughs) No problem. No problem. Thank you for having me. Great seeing you. Oh man. I, I enjoyed this every time. I tell you, I was at work last night. I couldn't wait to get off, man, just to come talk to you all. <laughs> yeah. Well, anytime you want to talk to us about a case, let's go, come oh, yeah. back next week. Let's do it again. Oh, yeah, anytime. Well, I have to think of some. You know, I'm running out of cases. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for being here and for no all the work you did as thank a you. detective in the Special Victims Unit. Thank you. Know, you. As I said earlier, the victims that you came in contact were very lucky Thank to you. have you as their advocate and investigator and we always love having you on best case worst case Thank um, you. so be safe and come back and visit us again soon yes and sir till next time thank you for listening to best thank case you. worst case signing off Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production produced by Francie Hakes, Josh Murphy, and Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Matt Gerbel. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba and hosted by Wondery. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's d, the number two, l.org.